We begin with the praise of Allah by asking Allah to exalt the mention of our peace to our Messenger Muhammad and to his family and his companions. And then we ask Allah to teach us to teach us what will benefit us and to benefit us with what he teaches us and to increase us in knowledge. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us with beneficial knowledge and the ability to implement it. <coughs> we have come to Surah Al-Masad After having explained Surah Al-Fatiha Surah Al-Ikhlas Surah Al-Falaq Surah Al-Nas So we come to this Surah and the first thing that we're going to learn about this surah is the reason that this surah was revealed. And there are some variations in this, but the most common and the well-known opinion is that which is narrated in Ibn Abbas, Ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with them both. When this ayah was revealed to the Prophet وسلم, this ayah commanded the Prophet وسلم, to go and to warn his close relatives. And it is similar to the ayah of which Allah said, Ya So Allah commanded the Prophet to warn the people around him. So when he was told to warn his close relatives, Warner, what was known by the Arabs as the naked warner. 
And that is that what they would do is that when an army would approach, and there was a warner who would be scouting like, a, like a, observing the top of the hills. So from the top of the mountain, he would remove his garment and he would wave his garment in a sign that an emergency was coming. The prophet Isaac didn't do this, but he gave it as an example because it was known to the Arabs of his time and his people that when someone did this, this was the biggest emergency that there could ever be. So the prophet Isaac cried out in the way of the person who is warning a great catastrophe, like as if an enemy is going to come. Who is this one who is screaming with the top of his voice? They said it is Muhammad. Now the Prophet was known for his trustworthiness and his honesty and truthfulness. He was known as As-Sadiq Al-Amin before he was uh, chosen as a prophet by Allah So when they saw that he is crying out, if it was one of the foolish people from Quraysh, they would not have come and gathered. They said it is Muhammad. So now this is serious because your most truthful person is crying at the top of his voice that there is an emergency. They gathered around him. Ya Bani Fulan, Ya Bani Fulan, Ya Bani Fulan, Ya Bani Abdi Manaf, Ya Bani Abdi Muttalib. He cried out, The sons of so and so, and the sons of so and so, and the sons of so and so, and the sons of Abdi Manaf, the tribe of Abdi Manaf, and the tribe of Abdi Muttalib, the sons of the grandsons and the families of Abdi Muttalib. So they all gathered around him. فقال أرأيتم لو أخبرتكم أن خيلا تخرج صحي هذا الجبل. He said, What do you think if I was to tell you that a cavalry was coming from this mountain, from behind this mountain? Would you believe me? Would you believe me? They said, And this is a great benefit Allah, about the importance of truthfulness and the characteristics of the da'i to Allah. They said, We have never known you or we have never we have never experienced you lying to us. And that shows you that as a da'ir to Allah, as a caller to Allah, you should be a person that has certain characteristics in the way you deal with the people that makes it easier for them to accept more da'wah than you give to them. And from the most important of them, is truthfulness and honesty in your dealings, even in your worldly dealings. And look at the difference between
between the du'as. Wallahu musta'an. Today, in many situations, that you look from a point of amana and start you see many people giving da'wah to Allah. La amana They have no amana. You wouldn't trust them with a dinar, sadly speaking. You see many of them that in terms of their truthfulness, they are not known for being truthful in the way that they deal with the people. And sadly, when you see people like in a position of an imam or a da'ya or a khatib, and that person is known to, you know, not be telling the truth and breaking promises, Allah must And that comes to do with sincerity, you know, like a lack of sincerity and a desire for people to know you instead of know what you're talking about. When you see our messenger sallallahu what did they say? We've never known in your whole life that you ever lied to us. He said, I am a warner to you who is warning you of a very painful or a very severe punishment that is going to befall you. I have come before that punishment. And the understanding of that is that if you accept from me, that punishment will not come to you. But if you don't accept from me, then there is a punishment that is coming. For those who belie me and those who deny me, there is a punishment coming which is shadeed, it is severe. Abu Lahab said to him, and who is Abu Lahab? Abu Lahab is the uncle of the Prophet Not only from Quraysh, but from Bani Hashim. And more specifically from Abdul Muttalib. He's the closest of the closest of people to the Prophet. And he said to him, And is a word that, in, that means may you perish and may you lose. The scholars they say, it is. It is destruction, and loss. It is destruction and loss. He said, may you perish. Is this the reason that you called us and you gathered us together to say this?
than any other people. And Allah gave that to them, and the Prophet told us about that. That Allah chose from among the Arabs Quraysh, and among them he chose Bani Hajj. So they were given a position and a status. But that position and status is only valid when it comes with Iman and good deeds. Otherwise, Abu Lahab had that, that lineage. But look at his enmity towards the Prophet. So just being from the family of the Prophet is not enough. And that's why we see in many countries that some people claim, whether truly or whether truthfully or untruthfully, to be from the family of the Prophet and they demand certain rights and certain a certain status and a certain certain privileges. But the reality is that we say to them, you are not closer to the Prophet than Abu Lahab and lineage. And yet where is Abu Lahab? Sayyastana that he will be in a fire. So ultimately, it's not being from the family of the Prophet that confers privilege to but it's your Iman that confers that privilege. And then if you have Iman and good lineage, then this is more and more lighter than life. Why not? If somebody has that lineage and they have Iman, more and more lighter than life. But just to say to somebody that just because you're from the family of the Prophet that you deserve a certain privilege and a certain status, look at Abu Lahab. And that's why the Prophet said in authentic hadith, Whoever's deeds slow them down, their lineage will not make them fast. I don't say If your deeds are slowing you down, if your sins are slowing you down, if your lack of obedience to Allah is slowing you down, crosses the Sirat, your lineage will not make you go any faster. But if you have those good deeds and Iman, and that is in addition to being from the family of the Prophet said that the likes of Ali bin Abi Talib, Al-Hasan Al-Hussein Al-Ibn and his father and so on, then this is more and more that you bring Iman, and then on top of that Iman, you bring a lineage which is the most noble of all lineages. So that is one thing that is really important. <coughs> so he said to the Prophet, responded to Abu Lahab. The Prophet ﷺ didn't respond to him. Allah Jalla fi Ula responded to him, Tabbat yada Abi Lahab wa tab. Tabbat yada Abi Lahab. May the two hands of Abu Lahab perish. 
وَتَبْ And may he perish with them. And this is something that we call الْجَزَاءُ مِنْ جِنْسِ الْعَمَلِ It's a principle in Islam and it comes regularly. It's called الْجَزَاءُ مِنْ جِنْسِ الْعَمَلِ and that is that you get what you, you reap what you sow. You get back what you gave out. He said to the Prophet Tabban lak, may you perish. And who made or who informed of he, that he will perish? Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah Azza wa Jal cursed him because of his curse towards the Prophet. And Tab is a curse at the end of the day. It's a curse word, it's a, it's a word of cursing. And Allah Azza wa Jal cursed him because he cursed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this has another fa'idah, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best, how many times we curse ourselves because we curse other people. And Wallahi Al-Azim, especially among the people who have habits, and I've seen this in certain communities, Alhamdulillah, I've not seen it in the UAE, but I have seen people who have this, that they curse, either they curse Islam when they get angry, or they curse Allah when they get angry, they say words uh, like uh, uh, curse words. And that is a very severe example. And I haven't, Alhamdulillah, it's not something you see a lot, but it is known. But one that you see more commonly is people who curse their parents. And it is especially common in certain cultures that as a curse word, when they stub their toe or they fall down, they say, Allah curse my mom and dad. And this happened that I saw this with my own eyes when I was in a particular country and there were some young guys around and the guys, they were playing pool. And one of them missed the shot and he said, may Allah curse my mom and dad. He doesn't mean it, but he is, and he just like, it's a curse word. It's just like a, a swear word or a curse word that just comes out like that. And subhanAllah, how does that person know that Allah Azza wa Jal from that day did not put his la'ina upon that person? And curse that person, ila yawmul qiyamah. What will make you know that that person wasn't cursed until yawmul qiyamah because they, of, they couldn't, you know, they... they they allowed this foul and vulgar things to come out and they said it towards those who have the greatest right over them after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I said, even greater than that, I've seen cases of people when they get angry that they curse Allah azza wa or they curse Islam. So a person needs to be so careful about what they say. Abu Lahab, no doubt, was expressing the kufr and the evil and the hip, the jealousy that was in his heart. But look at how his tongue condemned him. That instead of being silent to listen to what the Prophet ﷺ said, he replied instantly, Tabban lak, may you perish. And look what happened. Allah Azza wa Jal revealed that he will perish and his hands will perish and he will perish in the fire of Jahannam. Also here we have a mu'jizah from the mu'jizat. We have a miracle from the miracles. Because this surah was revealed before even there was a chance or even a time for Abu Lahab to see how he would live his life. And it was revealed before Abu Lahab died. 
And that's why this surah is a strong evidence to use as to put forward as one of the many miracles that are found within the Quran. That Allah Azza wa Jal foretold the destruction of Abu Lahab and that he would die as a non-Muslim and that he would perish in Jahannam before Abu Lahab had even you know, finished or completed his life. And that's a miracle from the miracles that Allah Azza wa Jal sent down, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed what will happen to Abu Lahab at, from that moment that the surah was revealed. مَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُ مَالُهُ وَمَا His wealth will not hear أَغْنَى It didn't make him rich. That's the literal meaning of the word. مَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُ مَالُهُ It didn't enrich him anything. Ayah didn't benefit him in anything. وَمَا كَسَبْ And that which he had earned. مَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُ It didn't enrich him. It didn't benefit him. And he isn't able to do anything with it to, to protect himself from the punishment of Allah Azza wa Jal. سَيَصْلَى نَارًا ذَاتَ لَهَبْ سَيَصْلَى نَارًا ذَاتَ لَهَبْ Allah Azza wa Jal foretold that Abu Lahab will enter into a fire. And this fire is ذَاتُ Lahab. So the name Abu Lahab, the name Abu Lahab, that's his name. That's the name that he, that he or that's the, uh, that's the kunya that he was given. That's his, the, the, the nickname that he was known by. But the word Lahab, Lahab al-Nar, is when the fire is a burning flame with no smoke. When a fire has a burning flame with no smoke. I'm going to just go to the English translation here and see if I can find an even better word for it. But when you have, when they say, لَهَبَتْ nar, that the fire was blazing and it didn't, it, it, it was smokeless and blazing. Sometimes the English translations are not... Uh, they have here a blazing flame. But that's what the word lahab here is different from, for example, shu'la or another word for a flame. Because the word lahab is a flame that is burning and has no smoke. So this is from the linguistic, like a, a linguistic miraculous language of the Quran. That his name was Abu Lahab. But Allah Azza wa Jal used the same word Lahab to describe the fire that Abu Lahab will be put into. That it is a blazing fire that has no smoke. It is a smokeless and blazing uh, fire. Then Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَامْرَأَتُهُ حَمَّالَةَ الْحَطَبِ 
Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَامْرَأَتُهُ حَمَّالَةَ الْحَطَبِ Al-Imam Al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala, he said commenting on this, that his wife was also, she was very uh, severe in harming the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And her and her husband used to cooperate with each other على الإثم والعدوان in sin and transgression, harming each other or harming the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she used to spend all of her efforts in harming the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and bringing about harm to him. So Allah Azza wa Jal revealed وَمْرَأَتُهُ حَمَّالَةَ الْحَطَبِ His wife, she will be or she is the carrier of firewood or she will be the carrier of firewood. Al-Hatab is what you use to, to put fuel in the fire. Al-Hatab is what you use to put fuel in the fire. She is Hamala, she's, she's, she's not just Hamila, she's not carrying it. She is burdened with it, a yani huge amount of firewood. Fiji diha around her neck. Habanun is a rope. Min masad. And masad is the, is the fiber. The, the twisted like palm fiber. When you see the date palm tree and you see the, the trunk of the tree, it has like, a, like fibers that come out of it that look like string or look like rope. And they twisted them together. And again, read you what Imam Al-Sa'di, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said about this. Al-Imam Al-Sa'di gave two possibilities about these last two ayat. The first one is that he said that this ayah could be describing her in the dunya. And that she has a rope around her neck and she is carrying firewood on her back. And he said, he's, and he said, or it means that she in the fire will carry the firewood that will be used to burn her husband. I, that what part of the punishment that he will suffer in the fire is that she will be with a rope around her neck carrying firewood on her back to burn the fire that will burn Abu Lahab. He said, and whichever of the two this is, or whichever one is true, this surah contains an ayah, min ayatillah, a clear miracle from the miracles of Allah. For indeed, Allah sent down this surah while Abu Lahab and his wife were still alive. And Allah informed that they will be punished in the fire and it must happen. And that means that they will never become Muslim. So Allah Azza wa Jal 
told us how it happened, exactly as it happened, because he is alimul ghaybi wa shahada. He knows that which is seen and that which is unseen. And there's no doubt that if Abu Lahab were to have come and said any day, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, what would that have said about Islam and the message of Islam? And it's impossible for the Prophet ﷺ to have invented that himself. It's way too risky for someone to come and say, if you imagine you're with your enemy and you say, I can tell you for certain that for the rest of your life, you're never going to do this. What will your enemy do the same day? He will say, fine, I will do it today just to prove that you are wrong. But look at Allah Azza wa Jal who knows every single thing that is hidden and everything that is open and everything in the past and the present and the future. How Allah Jalla fi Ula told us that Abu Lahab will never become Muslim. Neither him nor his wife. And that they will be punished in the fire of Jahannam forever. And that this entails that they will continue to harm the Prophet and to cause hardship for him. And yet they didn't try to escape the argument and say, okay, we will just pretend like the munafiqeen. Why did Abu Lahab not behave like the munafiqeen and just say, I will pretend to become Muslim. I'm just going to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah just to make them doubt their religion. But you cannot escape Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can't escape what Allah azza wa has decreed for you. And so whatever Abu Lahab did, but this ayah and these, this surah was fulfilled as Allah azza wa informed us about it. And that is a huge lesson for us. And really, it is one of the things that you can point out to people in the Qur'an that is one of the many, many signs of Allah Azza wa Jal that truly you can point to and you can show somebody that, you know, really this is a miraculous Qur'an, not just linguistically, not just in the way that it was revealed, but it's a miraculous Qur'an in what it tells you from the unseen and the things that will happen. And this is not the only example. We now come to the next surah, which is Surah Al-Nasr. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ The first question I want to ask you, and you may have heard this said before, but if you haven't, it's a nice thing to, it, it, it's a, it shows you how the Sahaba used to think about the Qur'an. You know the rough translation, but I'll give you the rough translation for the surah. When the victory comes from Allah and Al-Fatih, yani the conquest, and you see the people coming into Islam in crowds. Glorify or exalt the perfection of Allah with praise. And seek His forgiveness. 
فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفر إنه كان توابا Allah is ever accepting of tawbah When you hear this surah Generally, would you classify this surah as glad tidings? Or would you classify this surah as something extremely sad and extremely worrying? Anyone who said extremely sad knows the answer to the question already. The reality is when you first hear it without knowing the answer to why the answer to, is like that, your instant reaction would be, wow, you know that everyone is becoming Muslim, Allah's Nasr has come, the victory has come, the conquest has come, all of the, the people have accepted Islam, Islam is now dominant, the Prophet ﷺ has returned to Mecca, <coughs> praise Allah, seek His forgiveness, Allah is going to accept your repentance, where is the sadness? But like the brother rightly said, this surah is a surah when the Sahaba, some of the Sahaba heard it, they cried. Because they realized that this surah was telling the coming of the death of the Prophet That he was going to die. And they understood that from their deep, deep fiqh, their deep, deep understanding of Islam and their rich understanding of the evidences of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Because what do you know about every prophet when the people become Muslim in crowds? When the people accept their message and everything settles and they are victorious? What is the Sunnah of Allah with His prophets when that happens? The Sunnah of Allah is that prophet is going to pass out of this world because their job is done. So effectively the Sahaba took this to mean that the job of the Prophet ﷺ was nearing completion and that he would soon pass away. So this is a surah of glad tidings. It is a surah of good that makes you happy. But at the same time, it's also a surah that makes you incredibly sad because there is no calamity struck this ummah greater than the death of the Prophet ﷺ. It was the greatest calamity to touch this ummah. And there's no doubt any, you cannot hold it to be any other way. Because while the Prophet ﷺ was alive, it was possible to go back to him, to ask him to receive revelation from Allah through him. And when he died, this ummah was left with the revelation and the religion that he passed on, but without that Prophet ﷺ to be physically with them. And that reminds you of a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, the stars are the guardians of the sky. And when the stars leave, or when the stars disappear, the sky will get what it was promised. Then he وسلم, said, I am the guardian of my companions. When I go, my companions will get what they promised. 
in terms of disagreements and difficulties and trials and tribulations that will happen after his death. And then he said, وَأَصْحَابِي أَمَنَةٌ لِأُمَّتِي He said, my companions, they are the safeguards of my ummah. And when they go, أَتَى أُمَّتِي مَا يُعَدُونَ He said, it will come to my ummah what they have been promised. And there's no doubt that all of the disagreements and difficulties that happen to this ummah, they happen after the death of the companions radiallahu anhu. And all of the difficulties that happened and the trials and tribulations that happened to the companions, they happen after the death of the Prophet And so, even though this surah is a bushra, a glad tidings, it also has a theme deeper than that, which is one of extreme sadness that the Prophet would pass away. And Nasr is a particular word that we use for help, but it means help in victory over your enemies. And that's why it's different to Al-Awn, which means help, or Al-Ta'yid, which means help. And Nasr is help to overcome your enemies. And Allah Azza wa Jal had said, these days we balance and share among the people. Meaning some days you will be victorious on the battlefield and some days you will not be victorious on the battlefield. Allah Azza wa did not tell the Muslims that they would be victorious in every battle. Rather he said, These days we balance it out. And this is so that Allah may test you. يَعْلَمَ Allah That Allah may test you. Those who believe. And take from you martyrs. But ultimately, the end victory, the final victory, as Allah said, I will overcome me and my prophets. And the eventual outcome and the eventual victory will be for the pious. So someone might say, why is it if your religion is true? Why is it you don't win every war, every battle? Why is it that there were times when enemies overcame parts of the lands of the Muslims? Does this not show that your religion is not true? Where was your God to help you? when these armies overcame you in certain areas and certain places. We see this is exactly what the Quran told us. That in battles and wars, there will be days where we win and days where we lose. But the aqibah, the final victory, and the end result will be for Allah and His messengers and the believers. That will be the end outcome and so it was for the prophet the muslims were overwhelmingly victorious in the battle of badr and yet the battle of uhud they suffered loss and like that the battles became some 
which finished without fighting, some in which the Muslims were overwhelmingly victorious, some in which they got a small victory, some in which they didn't. But with the conquest of Makkah, the Fatih, Fatih Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, it came that the final victory for the Muslims and the fact that they had become victorious over their enemies, it was a sign that the tide was shifting in favor of the Muslims. And it was the great victory that they were waiting for. However, after that still, the Sunnah of Allah continued, the Battle of Hunayn. وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنٍ إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ فَلَمْ تُغْنِ عَنْكُمْ On the day of Hunayn, which happened after Fatih Makkah, when you were so amazed by your number, when you were so amazed by the huge numbers you had, but it didn't benefit you anything. وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَرْضُ بِمَا رَحْبَتْ And the earth, it was like it was constricted for you. ثُمَّ وَلَّيْتُمْ مُدْبِرِينَ Then you turned your backs. Then Allah Azza wa Jal sent down His Sakina upon the, the, the messenger and the believers and gave them help and victory and they were able to overcome. But the Fatih of Makkah was the great victory that the Muslims had been waiting so many years for. And that Fatih of Makkah happened with relatively little uh, fighting. In fact, there was almost no fighting except a small amount, a very small amount. And we know the Prophet ﷺ, he said that Makkah was only allowed to fight in it for me for one portion of time one portion of the day it would not be allowed for anyone before him or anyone after him since Ibrahim made Makkah a sacred place he, he asked Allah to make it a place of safety and Allah made it a haram haraman amina a safe sanctuary. However, Allah Azza wa Jal allowed the Prophet وسلم, to enter with an army into it for one portion of the day, a portion of the day only. And so it was a victory from Allah Azza wa Jal, and it was Al Fatih, known as the conquest. And that's why the word Fatih means to open up, right? The word Fatih means to open up. Fatihan, to open something up. And from this is the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, Al-Fattah. Which has many meanings, but one of them is to the one who opens up when things are closed for you. And when you don't find a way to achieve things, Allah Azza wa Jal opens you a way. And it also means to distinguish between things. And there were many victories the Muslims had. But only Fatih Makkah was known by the name Al-Fatih like that. The victory, the conquest. Because of the huge significance that it had for the, the, the most sacred of places on this earth. And the most beloved of places for ibadah. 
to Allah Azza wa Jal to return to the hands of the Muslims and for the idols to be cast out and destroyed and it to be returned for the reason that it was created to worship Allah Azza wa Jal alone. وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا And you see the people entering into Islam in crowds. And that is how it was on the day of the conquest of Mecca. You know what happened when the Prophet ﷺ gathered his enemies in the sacred house or next to the sacred house and he had all of his enemies and he said to them, what do you think that I will do to you? After all they had done to him, the torture, the attacks, the abuse, the name-calling, the attacks on his companions, the attacks on his honor, his personality, his character. And yet he said, what do you think I will do to you? And they said some words of praise. You're the noble one, the son of the noble one. They tried to, you know, butter the bread a bit. You know, you are, you know, I'm sure you'll be. They tried to say some words. But the Prophet ﷺ, as we said, was not a person who took this thing to heart in himself. He said, go, for there will be no... As Yusuf said to his brothers, there will be no, there will be no retribution against you today. Go. The way the Prophet ﷺ dealt with Mecca, the way the honor and the sanctity that he showed for Mecca, and the way that he dealt with his enemies caused people to enter into Islam in crowds. And people would come in such large numbers that it was like, it was not one or two or three people. Crowds of people would come with their families and their families' families and their tribe to accept Islam one after the other. Afwaja. Al-Imam Al-Sa'di said, Ba'da an kanu min a'da'ihi. After they were his enemies. Sabbih here is the, is the command meaning to say Subhanallah. To say, Subhanallah, that's what Sabbih means. Sabbih isma rabbika al-a'la. Say, Subhana rabbi al-a'la. That's what it means. Sabbih isma rabbika al-a'la. Say, Subhana rabbi al-a'la. The Prophet said, make it in your sujood. Here for Sabbih, say, Subhanallah. So what does the word Subhanallah mean? Subhanallah is kalimatu tanzih. It is a word which is to declare Allah to be free and pure against all or from all of the evil things that are said about him. That's what the word subhanallah means. So I like in English to use the word 
exalt in perfection. Because it means to exalt Allah, but it means to exalt Allah by glorifying and mentioning His perfection. In other words, to negate, to deny, to speak out against anything which is attributed to Allah which is imperfect. Can we give examples of what is attributed to Allah which is imperfect? They said Allah took a son. Subhanah. Exalted is he in perfection. Allah is too perfect to have taken a son. Subhanah. So it's a word that means, that shows how perfect Allah is and how everything that is said about Allah which is imperfect is a lie against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. So it's a word of negation. And you know that la ilaha illallah is built on two things, right? Affirmation and negation. Affirmation, that you say that only Allah deserves to be worshipped and negation that you deny everything that is worshipped besides Allah. Subhanallah is a word of negation. But what would happen if we said Subhanallah and we didn't affirm? Yani if we just negated and we didn't affirm, that would leave us deficient, right? And that is why Allah said, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ Declare your Lord to be free of imperfection. Subhanallah along with praising him for what he has. Get rid of everything that is said that is false and praise him for what is true. And this here is a refutation of the Jahmiyyah. And it is sufficient to mention only these three words. فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكْ to destroy the madhab of the Jahmiyyah from the beginning to end. Because the madhab of the Jahmiyyah is an aqadi madhab, it's a belief that people had, maybe have to a certain extent, but it's not like it used to be in terms of its, uh, its reign or its scope, where they only spoke about Allah's names and attributes in the negative. Allah isn't, 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 isn't. And when you ask them, what are you doing? They said, we are implementing subhanallah. Allah isn't, isn't, isn't. And they were very foolish. They said, Allah doesn't see, Allah doesn't hear, Allah doesn't know. They said a lot of things. But subhanallah, look at how, if this one ayah, it, it, the meaning escaped them. فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ Rabbik. Say subhanallah and pair it with alhamdulillah. So you bring the negation, Allah doesn't have a son, and Allah doesn't sleep, and Allah doesn't rest, and the angels are not the daughters of Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't unaware of what you do, and all of the things that are negated, bihamdi rabbik, Allah sees everything and knows everything and is praised because of all of his beautiful names and attributes. And this is La ilaha illallah. فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ This is La ilaha illallah. And when you put them together, you get Subhanallah wa bihamdih. 
And that's one of the adhkar that we make. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanallah al-Azim. Kalimatan, two words. That they are light on the tongue. Khafifatani ala lisan. Thaqilatani fil mizan. Heavy on the scales. Habibatani ila rahman Beloved to the most merciful. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanallah The last hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari. So we say subhanallah wa bihamdi. It's fine to say subhanallah by itself because this is mentioned in many of the adhkar. But there were some people who never did anything except what they understood to be subhanallah, which is to always speak about Allah in the negative. And this tells us whenever you say something about Allah in the negative, you must also affirm the perfect opposite. So whenever you say Allah doesn't sleep, what do you have to then affirm? He is Al-Hay. Allahu la ilaha illahu Al-Hay Al-Qayyum. La ta'khudhu sinatun wa la nawm. Allah doesn't sleep, so he has the perfect life. Allah Azza wa Jal does not oppress you. وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدِ Your Lord does never oppress his servants. So you have to affirm that he is the most just. وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah does not, is not unaware of what you do. So he is al-alim al-khabir, the one who knows everything and is aware of everything. So you can't bring only negatives and then not bring the opposite because that's not perfect. Rather, when we say Allah isn't, 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 we also say Allah is this and is this and is this. So we say what he isn't and what he is and that is the meaning of la ilaha illallah. All the things that don't deserve to be worshipped. But what would happen if you just said la ilaha? It's atheism, right? La ilaha is atheism. There is no God. There is no Lat, no Uzza, no Manat. There are no gods. But when you say Illallah, you bring the perfect balance. We get rid of all of the false gods, Allah and Al-Uzza and Manat and everything that is worshipped besides Allah, Illallah. But we affirm the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So this is a methodology of the Quran that we join between a nephew wal isbat between negating and affirming and we bring them together fasabbih bihamdi rabbik declare allah to be free of imperfections and praise him for his names and attributes and blessings and so on and actions that he has wastaghfir and seek his forgiveness And seeking the forgiveness of Allah Azza wa Jal is something that a Muslim is required to be firmly attached to and be regular in doing. You know that the Prophet ﷺ in some narrations he said, I seek Allah's forgiveness in a day, mi'ata marra, a hundred times. Sometimes 70 times, 80 times is mentioned. 
And that is to say, Astaghfirullah, or one of its equivalent duas, like Astaghfirullah al-Azim al-Ladhi la ilaha illa huwa al-Hayyu al-Qayyum wa atubu ilayh. Or to say, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant khalaqtani wa ana abduk wa ana ala, wa ana ala ahdika wa wa'dika mastata'at. أعوذ بك من شر ما صنعت أبوء لك بنعمتك علي وأبوء بذنبي فاغفر لي فإنه لا يغفر الذنوب إلا أنت وتسي اللهم اغفر لي ذنبي كله دقه وجله أوله وآخره سره وعلانيته وتسي اللهم اغفر لي ما قدمت وما أخرت وما أسررت وما أعلنت وما أسرفت وما أنت أعلم به مني أنت المقدم وأنت المؤخر وأنت على كل شيء قدير In another narration أنت المقدم وأنت المؤخر لا إله إلا أنت These are all from the duas of istighfar And istighfar The word maghfirah Means to conceal and to cover something up It means to conceal something And to cover something up and that is the reality of what you are asking Allah Azza wa Jal for. You're asking Allah Azza wa Jal to cover up your sin, to conceal your sin. And from this we can take a very important thing, and especially for the young brothers and sisters here, that there is a terrible culture among the shabab, the young people, of telling the people about the sins you do. Putting it on Instagram and Snapchat and telling the world about the sins that you do. This goes against istighfar. Because in istighfar, you're saying to Allah, cover it up. So how are you going to go around telling the whole world about the things you did wrong last night and the night before and the day before? Taking pictures of yourself doing haram. It goes against the concept of istighfar. You're asking Allah to cover it up. Not only the sin, but also the consequences of the sin. Because the reality is that your sins have consequences. And here I'm going to mention another very important point. فَلَا يَأْمَنُ مَكْرَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Allah Azza wa Jal said, Do they feel safe? I think Surah Al-A'raf. Do they feel safe from the plan of Allah? Nobody feels safe from the plan of Allah except the losing people. What does it mean to feel safe from the plan of Allah? What does that mean? It means that you do a sin and you say, Allah will not punish me for this. And it is a kabira min kabairi dhunub. It is from the major, major sins. In fact, from the Sahaba are those who counted it in the top three of the biggest sins that you can do. Al-amnu makr Allah wa al-amnu min makrillah. That a person says, Allah is not going to punish me for this sin. And you know the problem is that the punishment doesn't always come at the time you do the sin. So the person does the sin and he says, see, nothing happened. 
Allah Kareem. Allah is Kareem. Allah Azza wa Jal is noble. Allah Azza wa Jal is forgiving. Don't worry, I did the sin. Inshallah, Hajj is coming up when I'm older. I'm going to make Hajj. Allah forgive me, don't worry. This is from the worst of the major sins. Among definitely in the top five of the worst of the major sins. That a person believes that Allah will not do anything to him for the sins that he did. That doesn't mean he doesn't hope for Allah's forgiveness. That means that he says, oh, Allah will not do anything. Allah Kareem, Allah will forgive me. Don't worry about it. And he feels safe from Allah's punishment. And this shows you that when you are saying istighfar, your sins have consequences. They have things that if you do them, they are going to bring about consequences. And when you say istighfar, you're asking Allah to cancel out the negative consequences. That, oh Allah, whatever bad thing was going to happen to me, whatever negative thing, whatever punishment in the dunya or the akhirah, don't make it happen. Keep me away from the consequences of this sin. Keep me away from the consequences of this sin. This is istighfar. Then Allah said, Innahu kana tawwaba. Kana in this sense, when it's said about Allah, wa kana Allah, innahu kana. Kana is here, it means, uh, it means al-istimrariya, continuity. That Allah is always. So when you hear in the Quran, kana Allah, wa kana Allah, the word kana here means always like this. It's a constant state. Allah is kana tawwaba, not that he's tawwaban sometimes and not other times, or that he is tawwab just for one time, just for the conquest of Makkah. Allah Azza wa Jal kana tawwaba is always tawwab, accepting of tawbah. Now tawbah is different to istighfar. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal joined between istighfar and tawbah. And there are many ayahs of the Quran in which Allah Azza wa Jal joins between istighfar and tawbah. He joins between istighfar and tawbah. And that is because, as we said, istighfar is to cover the sin and cancel the consequences. Tawbah, in Arabic, it means a nadm, regret. And it's a deeper feeling. It's not just the feeling of, oh Allah, please don't let anything bad happen to me. Please don't let anyone know about this sin. Please keep it concealed for me. And please don't uh, make a consequence for me. Tawbah is where you, along with that istighfar, you feel a deep and profound regret and sorrow and sadness for what you did. And from that, it becomes clear. From that, it becomes clear that not everyone who says, Astaghfirullah has made tawbah. And you can say astaghfirullah and mean it and still not make tawbah. 
You can say Astaghfirullah and really mean it, not be lying, be truthful. But you still haven't reached the level where you are truly sad and sorry for what is past. True sorrow and regret comes from knowing Allah Azza wa The more you know Allah through His names and attributes, and perhaps this is one of the benefits or one of the reasons why Allah mentions the istighfar after فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ Rabbik. Because the more you know Allah through His names and His attributes and His actions, the more you feel sorrow and regret for what has happened and what you've done. Because how can you know what you've done? And how can you really appreciate the severity of what you've done until you know the one that you disobeyed? So when you praise Allah through His names and attributes and you come to know Allah, you come to know the severity of your sin. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ used to make istighfar a hundred times a day even though he ﷺ was free of the sins, free of major sins and free of deliberate minor sins. And he ﷺ only fell into something small by accident without any intention and then instantly made istighfar. And yet he used to make istighfar. Why? Not because of the greatness of his sins, but because of how much he knew of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how much he wanted to set an example for his ummah. So how about us? We don't have that guarantee from Allah Azza wa Jal that we've been forgiven. We fall into major sins. We fall into minor sins. Subhanallah. How then are we in relation to that tawbah and istighfar? So tawbah starts with regret. And regret starts by admitting that you did a sin. So you admit that you did it and you ask Allah to conceal it and cover it. And that leads you to feel sorrowful and regretful for what you have done. And that leads you to tawbah. And that means that you stop the sin. And it means that you have an intention never to do it again. Does that mean you'll never do it again? It doesn't mean you'll never do it again. We are insan. And insan, it comes from a nisyan, forgetfulness. We forget and we fall back into mistakes again and again. But we genuinely intend, really feel that I feel so bad about it. And I'm, inshallah, I'm not going to do it again. And if that sin involved any of the rights of men, the hukuk of other people, your brothers and sisters in humanity, then you give those hukuk back to them however you can. You give those rights back to them. Like asking them to forgive you, returning back something that you took from them, uh, giving charity on their behalf, according to what you can do. If it's something physical, then you should return it back to them. If you can't return it back to them because they've left and you've lost contact, give charity on their behalf, and then if they come back again, still give it back to them again. And if it's the case that you can also go to them and ask them to forgive you, then this is khair, inshaAllah ta'ala, and this is what a person should do. 
But if they feel that going to them is going to cause a bigger problem and a bigger evil, then no problem, inshaAllah ta'ala, if that happens, then there is no harm in a person making dua for them until they think that they have made up for what they did. And if they spoke about them in a, in a way that was wrong, then they should speak about them in a way that is good in the same place to the same people and so on. And this is the completion of tawbah. And Allah Azza wa Jal, man taba, taba Allahu Whoever makes tawbah, Allah accepts his tawbah. And whoever asks Allah's forgiveness, Allah forgives them. فَاسْتَغْفِرُونِي 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 أَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ Ask my forgiveness and I will forgive you. As is in the hadith Qudusi. That brings us to the end of the surah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى نَبِيِّنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com.